Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we call on you tonight to be with us in a special way in this Lord's Day, that you would be in your word, that you'd be in our hearts, that you'd be in the worship, that you'd be in our understanding, in our minds, Lord, that you would give us a clear picture of what you're looking for in us as your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'll please turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll continue in Sermon on the Mount. Again, I'll read from verse 1 up to our text tonight, which is verse 8. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to stop for a minute here and ask you what the next verse says in your mind and in your life. Does it say, blessed are the good-looking? Blessed are the ugly? Blessed are the tall, blessed are the short, blessed are the great speakers, blessed are those who make long and eloquent prayers, blessed are those who are the life of the party, blessed are those who make a good show of it, blessed are those who sound and look holy, blessed are those who have an exciting life, blessed are those who have a boring life. Blessed are those who say amen. Blessed are those who say nothing. Blessed are those who always have an answer. Blessed are those who you never hear. Blessed are you if you are a man. Blessed are you if you are a woman. What does it say to you tonight? What does it say in your life? Well, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, for, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Last time, we tried to put ourselves into the minds of those hearing Jesus on that day on the mount. We saw first what the heart was. It's the unseen center of man's being. Now, I was thinking of that when I looked at my my watch. I like to collect pocket watches, these little things. And if you open up the back, you can see movements. And I was trying to find out how many parts are usually in a pocket watch. And I don't know, I came to about 25 in a little watch like this and even smaller but there's a thing called the mainspring in it. 
And out of it, you might say, are the issues of the watch. Out of it runs all these other little gears and little parts and little spindles. It's, it's really interesting when you dig into it. So is the heart, the unseen center of man's being. It includes the mind, the affections, conscience, emotions, and the will, if you'll remember. Also, we looked at what pure meant. It has the, the meaning of unmixed, not an alloy. You could say unmixed allegiance, loyalty. You could um, say when it came to purity of heart, without idols or single-minded, not double vision. You ever looked in a binoculars and you just didn't get your eyes right on the binoculars and you just see, you see two things instead of the one? And then you got to focus. you got to focus your eyes right in the binoculars, then you see one image. It's that single vision of God, not the double vision, not the double-mindedness. Also, it has the idea of being washed, not soiled. The idea of being cleansed. Please turn to Proverbs with me. Proverbs 20, verse 9. I have another question for you. Proverbs verse 9. Do you read it there? Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? In Job 25, we'll be familiar with the verse, How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm? Jeremiah 13, can an Ethiopian change his skin or leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 7. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have consumed us because of our iniquities. Jeremiah 17, a familiar verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can even know the heart? Well, I'll tell you one who knows it. First Chronicles 28. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. The heart of man is perverse, it's corrupt, it drinks iniquity like water, it's devious not only to others, but even to ourselves. But surely, Jesus isn't mocking us in this verse. If he says, blessed are the pure in heart, this must be possible, for they shall see God and they only. Is no one pure in heart? Will no one see God? 
Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? Not one of us can say, I have, to the first part. But some here tonight can affirm the second part. I'd like to look at three aspects of the pure heart, God willing, tonight. There are more to this, but time constrains us to three tonight. Some of this we touched on in the previous session, but I'd like to focus ourselves on just three main areas. Now, as we look at them, notice the connection in these verses as we look with seeing God, because that'll come into focus a lot of times, more than I thought as I looked into this. So basically, we have an outline tonight, three aspects of a pure heart, and then, uh, time willing, its importance. The first is initial purity wrought by God in conversion. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, or set apart, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So you see, it's the work of God, the Spirit of God, who's washed you, sanctified you. Revelation 1.5 gives glory to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3. look at verse 3 to 7. And I brought this verse continually through these Beatitudes because it seems to apply to every one, but be patient with me as I bring it forth again, because it has a special meaning here. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. As we um, look at these next verses, we can also see references to our second aspect of heart purity, And that second aspect will be the continual cleansing, or you might say the sanctification aspect of purity of heart. Can't really separate the two in a lot of these verses, so I'm not going to try. Titus 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But... When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So you see the washing and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, that purity, that washing. When he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So now there's a, a, a difference there when we see that having been justified by his grace. 
We're not speaking so much of justification here, but we're speaking of the renewal, the washing of regeneration, when we're thinking of purity of heart here. In, uh, well, let's turn to 1 John, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're a Christian, there was a time in your life in the beginning when you confessed your sins. And that was involved repentance. Now that continues all through your life as a Christian. So you see here we have the beginning of our Christian life brought in conversion, but also the continual sanctification, the purifying of, of our hearts. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> now, I just want to point out two errors that can, that can um, be avoided in, in this verse. The first error is God cleansing you regardless of your acknowledgement or confessing of sins or regardless of your lifestyle. But we see in the same chapter in verse John, verses 5 to 9, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So here's this continual washing if we walk in the light. If you walk in the dark, it's just the opposite of God. How can you have fellowship? How can, can darkness have fellowship with light? It can't. Now, the second error that people can fall into is that you have to confess every single sin, every one of your sins to God to be forgiven. But we, we can see in, in the Psalms, for instance, and there's other places, but I'll just point out one. In Psalm 19, verses 11 to 13, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults, the psalmist cries. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of the great transgression. There are going to be sins in our life that we don't even recognize. Um, sins that we, we don't have to confess to still have fellowship with God. But they're not going to be, be bright and obvious in our life. Um, get to the end of the day and try to confess all the sins that you've committed in the day. Um, and I, as I spoke in the nursing home today, I said there's a sense where you want to be very specific in your confession of sin as much as you can. But there's also the sense that you, you have to be general, too. I, I know at the end of the day, I have to say, Lord, forgive all my sin throughout this day. Um, like the psalmist, I mean, they just, they're innumerable. We cannot count them all. Um, so that's the second error in that. You want to um, avoid those two extremes. <clears throat> We'll look at that verse a little, little further along. There's a lot in that First John. So it's important to notice, and uh, this is the uh, 
second aspect of purity of heart. It's important to notice that we have a part in this heart work, the process of purifying our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 6, we see this. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'll just uh, look at it briefly. 2 Corinthians 6 speaks of uh, Paul's appeal to the saints for separation from unbelievers. Um, and he, he has a promise that goes with that, among others. If that separation is occurring, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So he's, you see that sense of fellowship there. And I, I tie this in with seeing God. Seeing God enters into fellowship with him. That's part of seeing God. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He goes on further to say, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there's your part. It's clear there. Let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh. I'm going to have you turn over to James now. James chapter 4. Verses 6 to 10, we'll look at. He's speaking here in this chapter of friendship with the world and how that affects you as a Christian. Now, it's something to consider. If you're having trouble seeing God in your life as a Christian, maybe there's too much carnality in our life. Now, it says we live in the world. We, live a, we don't separate ourselves and become secluded, but there's a sense where we can enter into the world in its sin. We become so much part of the world that people can't tell the difference. And if that's so in our life, that can affect our, our fellowship with God. <clears throat> friendship with the world is enmity with God, it says in James. He's, he goes on to say, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, here's another promise of that fellowship with God, seeing God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, again, remember the context. If, you, if there's this friendship with the world, let me go to the beginning of that chapter, and I'll make it more clear. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? that war in your members, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war. He goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So there's a seeking, a worldly seeking of pleasures in the life here. And he goes on and he, he equates this with adulterers and adulteresses. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you see that all through the Old Testament, uh, figurative, when people turned away from God, God called it adultery. Besides idolatry, it was adultery to God. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously? I, I think that means, to me it means, God is jealous for our fellowship. It's like a jealous husband. If you see your wife making close friends, more than close friends with another man, there's a, a godly jealousy that comes there. So it is with God. God's spirit is a jealous spirit. He yearns for our fellowship. He yearns for our, our love, our loyalty. And that's purity of heart. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's the purification work. There's the cleansing, the washing sense of that that word purity. Um, But notice the words double-minded. So you remember the original meaning of purity, one of the meanings was singleness. Singleness, loyalty, singleness of mind. Right in Sermon on the Mount, it speaks of that singleness of eye, that you can't serve God and mammon. So if you're trying to serve two masters, it's not going to work. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In Matthew 6, our sermon on the mount, it speaks of laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So this laying up for, of treasure sounds like it's your part, right? Our part. We're laying up treasure in heaven. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth through the Spirit. Some of your Bibles don't have through the Spirit in there. Mine does, so I'll read that. But it, you notice there's two, there's the two aspects there. Your obedience. Purifying your souls by your obedience to the truth through the Spirit. Whether it's there or not in the original, it's true, Right? Through the Spirit, that's how we purify ourselves. That's how we obey, is by the grace of God. But we walk that out. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. With a pure heart. That's interesting. What do you think that means? Fervently with a pure heart. That can mean uh, several things, but I think one of the meanings is sincerity. Don't fake it. Don't, hey, brother, you know, and then, then you walk away and talk behind the person's back. Sincere love. God sees into the heart. Are you being hypocritical there? Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So that follows. That's why we can do what it says. We're born again. If you're born again, you can follow this command. That doesn't mean we come to an ultimate sinless state. I don't think I have to state that here, but that's obviously an error that's been throughout history. Um, But it's a process that we enter in of purifying our hearts. This brings 
us to the third aspect of a pure heart, and that's the eternal aspect. Now, these intermingle so much, it's hard, again, to separate them in separate categories. So notice the the other two categories, even as we look at, at the eternal. 1 John 3, 2, it states, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. What do you think that means? We'll be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And I see the combination there. We shall see him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus is pure. We'll set eyes on the pure Son of God. So if you have that hope of seeing God, then you will purify yourself. You'll work at sanctification. In Matthew 13, verses 40 to 43, it's the parable of the tares explained. It says, in speaking of the new heaven, new earth, and the, and, the, and the judgment. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. The, the righteous will shine forth as the sun. That speaks of a holiness, a purity, a righteousness, a light shine, shining forth. Revelation 22, 11 and 12, him, him that is righteous, I'll shorten it just to move on, him that is righteous let him be righteous still. It also says, him that is ungodly and the unrighteous be ungodly still. Speaking of those that come into judgment, Revelation 7, verses 13 to 17. I don't know if I have those verses right. Well, let me turn over there. I think I wrote something else down. Revelation 7. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? This is the vision of St. John in Revelation. Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? That speaks of purity, right? White robes. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. What a glorious vision. We will serve the glorious God, will be before the throne, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among us. So there's both the seeing God, but also that aspect of being washed by the blood of the Lamb cleansed of our sins. But there's that eternal aspect to look forward to. So is all this important? I know, like, in some people's minds, oh, holiness, holiness, that's all we hear about. Is that really that important? Do you guys kind of, do you preachers kind of overdo that? 
I mean, do we really have to be that holy? Well, look at the Beatitudes again. What, what's it say in the Beatitudes? And what have we been looking at? <clears throat> For instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What do they mourn about? The sins. It speaks of that poverty of spirit, of, not, of our sins, having sins, having been bankrupt and not, not being holy as God is holy. There's that hunger and thirst for righteousness that works in the true heart of a believer. And there's other aspects brought out in the, in the Beatitudes. Hebrews 12, 14, the familiar verse, pursue peace, which is the next Beatitude, by the way, with all and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness, purity, it's the same thing. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If all the issues of life come out of our heart, then it's pretty important to keep that heart pure. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Do you want, again, that fellowship with God? Do you want to come into his holy place both now and in eternity? then it's the only people that can do that are those with clean hands and a pure heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 <clears throat> Do you want to be used of God? I, I hear that a lot. Use me, Lord. Use me. For Second Chronicles 16 The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect, are completely towards him. Pure, single-minded, one focus, a heart towards God, completely his. He will show himself strong in your behalf if your heart is towards him. Instead of praying so often, use me, Lord, I would pray, make me usable. Give me purity of heart. He uses those that have pure hearts. The question is stated, but what is the great commandment by a person in the New Testament? The summation of the law of God was his reply. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. That's the great commandment. Is that important to God? It should be important to us. That's how you love the Lord, with all your heart. See, there's that, that purity of heart is not partial, but it's complete. It speaks of a, a whole heart, a pure heart. Now, the purpose of the commandment in 1 Timothy is stated, 1 Timothy 1.5, the purpose of the commandment is love out of a pure heart. Again, there's that pure love from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. See, there's that sincerity. A sincere faith speaks of an unhypocritical faith. It's the same thing. <clears throat> Verse 
In Revelation 20, verse 27, in the ESV it states, but nothing unclean, or in the NIV, it says nothing impure will enter, or should I say will ever enter it, speaking of the new Jerusalem, speaking of new heaven and new earth, nor anyone who does what is detestable are false, but only those who are written in the book of the Lamb's book of life. Eternal consequences there. So, who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Well, I don't think any of us can say we've made our heart pure. We recognize from Scripture as God. It's through the new birth. It's by the grace of God being being saved by the grace of God and not our works, lest any man should boast. So there's no room for boasting. But as a Christian, we need to keep reminding ourselves we have a clear part in sanctification. First Chronicles 28.9 says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. It's important to have that purity of heart as Christians. In, in the same sermon, and we pointed this out earlier, what was Jesus, one of Jesus' main concerns, not only in this sermon, but throughout Matthew? It was the heart. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, we see a lot of that. <clears throat> Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen. Now, I'm not going to read all the verses because of, because of time, but you'll see this over and over. To be seen. Verse 5, speaking of prayer, that they may be seen. Verse 7, that they think they may be hear, heard. So they, they said long, vain, repetitious prayers with many words that they would be heard. Verse 16 of chapter 6 that they may appear to men. Is that your heart? Do you do what you do? Do you appear before men? Do you care what we see of you? There's a part in that in not, not appearing evil. But does that trouble your heart? I, I, I know I, I'm guilty of it, and it creeps in there. And it's hard to distinguish a lot of times whether it's temptation or whether it's my own heart. Remember, the devil roams about seeking whom he may devour. That's us. And he'll try to devour us with pride. He'll and, and that pride will want to be exalted of men around us. In Matthew, that same chapter, Verses 19 and 20, we have the summation and our exhortation to us from the Lord himself. Again, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You see, Jesus, all through this sermon, if you go through this and read it all at once, he brings before his hearers eternity over and over and over again. 
heaven, 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 kingdom of God, eternity. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What will the applause of men do for you in eternity? We laugh. We laugh. We got to laugh at it, but it's still in our hearts. We want the applause of men. Look at you. You're holy. You're a godly person. You speak well. You have all the answers. You're so wise. Has that ever creeped into your heart? Well, what do we do about that? Well, one thing is we pray, and I think that's a good place to start. A... um, I looked at a chapter in the Psalms, very familiar to you, and you can use this, I'm sure a lot of you do, in your prayer time. David knew what it was like to sin, but he knew how to repent in this Psalm. Psalm 51. Go through this Psalm if you're troubled with this want of the applause of men if pride is continually haunting your heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. I recognize where that sin sin came from because he goes on to say, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. So there's that continual assault of sin. He sees who that sin is against. And we oftentimes we sin in our mind and we don't realize who it's against. It's against our own soul, for one. But he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. God is watching your heart every minute. The eyes of the Lord are in every place you go. He judges the heart, tries the reins. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Be conscious of the presence of God everywhere you go. Hear the presence of God as you worship, you come before him. Where's your mind? Where's your heart? Is it distracted? Are you focused on God? Are you coming in with a pure heart? Are you coming in to have your heart purified by God and enter into that sanctification through the word of God, which sanctifies the truth? Or are you just kind of drifting away, criticizing the sermon, looking at others? Are you just trying to look good? Confess it right before God. Confess it in your heart. And he'll wash away that sin. He goes on to say, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. God will make you wise in your own heart. God will expose your heart to you, if that's what you want, like Nathan did to David. 
Thou art the man. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be white as snow. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. You're lacking joy in your Christian life. This could be the problem. There could be hypocrisy in your life. There could be a, a divided heart. I remember early on, I don't even know if I was a Christian or not, but I remember a message that came forth about being on the fence. We can be on the fence with the world and God. We're not all in, we're not all out. And we know, I, I, I think we know that if we're all in with God, he'll bless that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We'll have more of God in our life. We'll have a sweeter fellowship. We complain of our prayer time, but where's our heart? And then I would take the advice, perhaps, of Jesus himself in this same sermon. If we have this problem of of being seen of men. Again, I've I've had it before in my own heart. What does he say? He says, do not sound a trumpet when you're praying. There's your reward. Do not know what your left hand does and your right hand is doing. In other words, don't, don't do it to be seen of men. And almost like you don't even know what you're doing when you're giving charity, when you're, when you're charitable, doing good deeds, that your charitable deeds may be in secret, and your Father in secret will reward you. There's that reward, seeing God. Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray. You have a problem with wanting to be seen of men? Go in your room. Hide. Not, not from the whole world, but I mean, sometimes you just got to get out of the sight of men. If you're plagued with that, it may be here. Anoint your head and wash your face, he says further on. Don't look, look like, try to look like before men you're holy or you're suffering for God's sake or um, look normal, look clean. You know, you don't have to be all, uh, you know, like, wow, I'm really going through, you know, God's, God's sanctifying me. Um, I know some, some, somebody right now, I'm not going to embarrass them, but I know they're suffering a lot and you wouldn't know it. I mean, I don't know any, notice any difference in that person. So again, recognize the difference. Lay up your treasures in heaven. If you're, you're, if you're going about to be seen of men, <clears throat> you have your reward, the applause of men. But what is that compared to the treasures in heaven? So again, I would bring as a prayer for us, that Charles Wesley hymn that's so appropriate for all these beatitudes, Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me. He says in the fourth stanza, a heart in every thought renewed and full of love divine, perfect and right and pure and good, a copy, Lord, of thine. Amen. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we would pray with our brother Charles Wesley for that pure, right, good heart, Lord, a copy, Lord, of thine. Would you help us, Lord, in this whole area of purity of heart? Help us, Lord, both to recognize the evil that lurks within us, that would want to flaunt itself in the eyes of men or be heard of men to be looked on as something great and give us true repentance. Help us, Lord, to mourn over these sins, Lord. Help us to know the gravity of all this and help us to see you and give us that hope of seeing you in eternity that we would again enter that work of purifying ourselves by your grace. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.